Hello, I'm Mariet Sneeman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is OCD within the context of COVID-19, the key issues. My guest is Professor Christine Lochner, clinical psychologist and researcher at an extramural research unit of the Medical Research Council at the Universities of Stellenbosch and Cape Town. Welcome, Christine. Thank you so much, Mariette. It's lovely to be with you today. And to our listeners, after our conversation, Christine will give us her take on life, love and the pursuit of happiness. And then <laughs> it will be fun question time. Today we're going to look at how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted people with obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. And Christine, you've been my guest before. In our first episode, we talked about how to recognize and cope with OCD. Perhaps we could start by yours shortly explaining what OCD is. Yes, Marit, I think that's probably the best starting point. So I think for those of you who do not know, um, OCD is a mental disorder or a psychiatric or psychological disorder characterized by obsessions and compulsions. And you may ask, what are the obsessions? They are recurrent persistent thoughts or thought or images in your mind that the person usually feel unable to control or to prevent and they're usually experienced as senseless, disturbing, intrusive and people with OCD often try, uh, often unsuccessfully so, to ignore or suppress these uh, thoughts or, or images. And, and these obsessions are very often accompanied by anxiety or disgust or fear or doubt. And an example would be, um, you know, worrying excessively about dirt or germs or that you may become contaminated or that you may contaminate other people. That would be a very common obsession. Or another one would be imagining you have harmed yourself or other people or you have doubts about safety issues such as whether you've turned off the stove or switched off the light, that kind of thing. And on the other hand, there are the compulsions. Um, compulsions are co repetitive and ritualistic behaviors or, or thought uh, uh, activities which are performed often according to, to certain rules or in an attempt to reduce the distress that is caused by obsessions. Examples of, of very common compulsions would be washing or cleaning, you know, showering repeatedly or washing your hands until the skin is red or painful. And checking would be another very common compulsion, you know, repeatedly checking that you've turned off the stove or that you've locked the front door or checking that you've taken your medication over and over again. So in short, uh, for you to have a diagnosis of OCD, you should have uh, obsessions and all compulsions that cause you marked distress and anxiety and unhappiness. They must persist throughout the day. They must take up a lot of your time, you know, often an hour, or, you know, much more than that per day. Um, many people with OCD would spend hours every day performing compulsive acts. 
And then finally, you know, many people would say, well, I clean a lot. I clean the whole day. But that doesn't mean you have OCD. If the cleaning and the obsession with cleanliness cause you distress and unhappiness and it significantly interferes with your functioning and with your social relationships, then we can talk about OCD. Thank you, Christine. Now, you've told me that many research studies have focused on the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on people with OCD and that the findings were interesting. Could you please tell us more? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that would be a good introduction to the whole concept of COVID-19 COVID and, and everything that went around it. You know, during this pandemic, almost all of us, or I would say every one of us, have been exposed to multiple burdens, including immediate hazards such as the risk of infection, but also very strict quarantines, uh, which led to social isolation for many and economic insecurity for so many of us and a pervasive media focus on potential adverse consequences of the pandemic on health, all which have contributed to negative psychological effects. And, and it has been reported that the fear of the virus and, and its consequences you know, and the various strategies to limit the virus's spread um, we could say that that had a cumulative effect in exerting a negative impact on the mental health of populations worldwide. And it's of notice that the stresses associated with COVID and the lockdown phases may have particularly affected people with pre-existing or, or even emerging mental disorders due, for example, low resilience or fewer social contacts and even reduce psychiatric care. You know, people didn't go to the doctor during that period, at least not with their mental issues. And there is, of course, a, a reason to expect that at least a sizable proportion of people with OCD prior to the current pandemic, of whom half experienced symptoms such as fear of contamination, excessive hand washing, fears of dirt, would experience a worsening of their symptoms due to the pandemic. And indeed, that patients with this disorder may be particularly vulnerable and may constitute the group most affected by the pandemic amongst those with, with mental disorders. That's very interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing whether people with OCD are worse off now after being through this pandemic or better off. Yeah, so, so let's talk about the alterations in, in the prevalence rates of OCD and, and maybe the changes in illness severity in patients with, with OCD. It is, it is quite a mouthful. So, so let's start with the prevalence rates. You know, how, how often or how common is OCD? If you look at the pre-COVID rates, we could say that, you know, the, the lifetime OCD prevalence would be uh, somewhere between 1% and 3%. You know, 1% to 3% of the population would have OCD. Now, the question is, did the rates of OCD increase during, during COVID? or during the, the lockdown phases. And there's been one or two studies on this. For example, in, in, in China, 
they did a study in July 2020, you know, more or less uh, three months after reopening after their first lockdown. And almost 18% of the investigated people had symptoms of OCD. But unfortunately, there was no pre-pandemic statistic that we could compare this rate to. But definitely, if you look at this figure, 18%, this is certainly higher Mm -hmm. compared to the estimated 1% to 3% OCD prevalence uh, in the USA, for example, in the pre-pandemic era. And then another study that was done on on the rates of OCD was done in, in Germany. And interestingly, they found a higher prevalence of OCD symptoms in Germany during the first weeks of the pandemic, which was more or less in March 2020. And we can say that 21% of the people um, that was involved in this study, they expressed clinically significant OCD symptoms. In other words, symptoms that was enough to warrant a diagnosis during the pandemic compared to the pre-pandemic prevalence rate of about 3.6% in in the general uh, German population. So so clearly, you know, if you look at those very initial studies in 2020, there was a rise in the prevalence. If you look at 2021, 2022, and now, I would suspect, but I don't know for sure, that the rates have gone back to what they were before. Um, When we talk about severity... You know, there's been a number, a wide number of studies that was done, some of them longitudinal, in other words, over time, several measures over time. And then there were also a whole bunch of cross-sectional studies, just sort of a snapshot of what, what OCD looks like. And I'm going to mention some of these quickly. For example, in Italy, you remember those videos or uh, snippets in the media about how badly hit Italy was yes. uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic. You know, it's a very small country. The population is quite older. Lots of vulnerability factors. You know, people were very much uh, under pressure in Italy. And, and there, there was a study, one of the very first studies on COVID and OCD. And there definitely a significant change in OCD symptoms. They found a significant increase in obsession and compulsion severity. Similarly, in Spain, you know, they did um, an adult study and they compared pre-pandemic severity to pandemic severity of OCD and the measures were about six months apart and they found that the majority of people who took part, about 70%, uh, reported significant symptom worsening And about 30% showed an increase of more than 25% from their pre-pandemic severity scores, which, which, you know, indicates at least moderate to severe clinical relevant worsening of their symptoms. Other countries, I can quickly go through in Iran. There were a study which found significantly increased levels of OCD severity in Turkey, the same in Japan. This is interesting. Uh, they found the opposite. Well, it's not really the opposite, but they found that in their large study of adults with OCD, they found minimally increased OCD symptom severity during the pandemic. And only 10% of their samples showed significantly increased severity. So not uh, all of the studies indicate that symptoms increased during, during uh, COVID. In India, for example, 
many, many studies coming from India. It's such a large country. But they did not find a worsening in severity of illness. And they, they didn't find increased relapse rates either. Um, and also, according to their study, very few patients developed COVID-19-related OCD symptoms. So this is fascinating. Also in Israel, there was a study in children and adolescents with, with OCD, they found no significant increase in OCD symptom uh, severity during the pandemic. And then there was another study in Israel and they did two follow-ups during the, uh, the pandemic and they found that there were very low rates of symptom exacerbation. So, so this gives you a good idea that you know, the school is not really out yet whether the severity necessarily, the severity of OCD increased with the pandemic and the lockdown phases. Yeah, so, so I've briefly touched on, on the findings in different countries. You know, uh, I can mention in Denmark, there was a worsening of OCD symptoms. In the USA, they've done several large surveys and um, interestingly in this one survey of about 200 respondents almost 100% of those who took part reported worsening of their symptoms since the pandemic began so so it varies across the countries across dif- across the different studies that were done but if i can conclude the majority of longitudinal research you know those research studies where you have several measures over time they have shown that the prevalence of OCD symptoms increased during COVID-19 to a significantly higher rate than pre-pandemic rates. But some studies did not confirm this, uh, suggesting, that again, that the school is not out. And then in many studies, the main symptoms that showed uh, increased severity was usually those related to contamination. And symptoms that showed increased uh, frequency were also Things like self-isolation, avoidance of certain foods, excessive hand-washing and cleaning. And in in the the severe cases of OCD, people reported panic attacks, panic symptoms, and even suicidal ideation or or attempts within this context. So the school is not out. You know, the, the, the prevalence did not necessarily increase as expected, and it did not necessarily uh, lead to increases in the severity of OCD. That is very interesting. And now maybe we can move to associations between worsening OCD and specific demographic groups and personal characteristics. Could you please explain this? Yeah, Mariette, it is conceivable that some characteristics make one more susceptible to the increases uh, in OCD severity. So it's, it's clear from what I said before that OCD patients with washing and cleaning compulsions, you know, people who worry or have intrusive thoughts about being infected or being contaminated or contaminating other people, these people have had the most severe impairment during the current pandemic. So these domains are clearly directly relevant to the pandemic, both in terms of COVID-19 being a virus spread disease and because of the high numbers of, of health messages, you know, that came in the general media about washing hands, being careful with hygiene, minimizing contact with others. 
to reduce the risk of contamination. So you can see there are specific types of OCD um, that may have rendered more vulnerable to increases in severity. And then there have also been reports of high levels of depression during the pandemic. And we know that OCD and depression are frequently found in the same people. You know, we know that 70 to 80 percent of people with OCD will also present with significant depression sometime or another. And it may be predicted that depression per se could have a worsening effect on OCD symptomatology. And then um, research also indicated that having comorbid generalized anxiety disorder, you know, or GAD as we talk about it in practice, and then depression uh, was also associated with OCD and increased OCD severity. And then interestingly, being single, uh, being a student, having comorbid other conditions, you know, other mental conditions such as anxiety and depression and even a family history of OCD and sleep disturbances. All of these variables were associated with OCD within the COVID context. So if you were single, a student had other issues like anxiety and depression, or you even had a family history of OCD and problems sleeping, your OCD likely increased in severity during the COVID pandemic. And then age would also be a risk factor. Children and adolescents were definitely identified as a risk group. And research indicates an association between negative and traumatic childhood experiences and OCD symptoms in, in adulthood. And, and these adverse experiences during the current pandemic may have had an immediate negative impact on this young age group, both with and without OCD, and, and maybe especially among those with early age of onset of OCD and a family history of psychiatric stuff. I think the negative consequences of the pandemic it may have been more severe if the child or the, or the teenager did not have access to care from a psychiatrist or a psychologist or just a, a care facility. And then the one other group that I wanted to mention or two other groups that I wanted to mention that may have been at increased risk uh, for, for increased severity of OCD or even development of, of obsessive compulsive symptoms would be pregnant women and then medical workers. I think these two groups have been proven in, in research that they are susceptible to OCD symptoms much more so than the general public. And, and a number of studies found an increase in, in obsessive compulsive symptoms and anxiety levels among these groups. And then finally, this is a long answer to a very short question, but I think this may be uh, interesting to the listeners. Some people also listed risk factors associated with increased OCD symptoms, um, very specific factors that may play a role in the worsening of OCD symptoms. For example, the increased demands for hand washing. You know, all over the show we saw, you know, people telling you to wash your hands. This could have led to a worsening of OCD symptoms. Secondly, um, all the recommended hand washing steps could have reinforced ritualistic patterns. You know, people with OCD, with contamination uh, themes, would very often wash in a certain way. You know, they would only wash with a certain soap, 
so many times for so long and they have certain rituals while they're washing and and all of these instructions about what is correct washing and whatnot may have increased those rituals and then the prompting of family members to ensure strict hygiene measures. I remember in our home, I, I actually reduced my shopping because every time you got home, you had to wash everything down and mm. wipe, wipe everything down with jick. It was, it was awful. So I just reduced mm. everything that I had to buy. I bought just the essentials. Um, and, and I remember prompt, prompting my kids to, to wash in a certain way and use, you know, this sanitizer not that one you know all of those prompts may have had a negative impact on people with obsessive compulsive disorder and then other uh, factors that may have also played a role in in the worsening of OCD would be stocking protective equipment and disinfectants some people hoard and and were found to hoard these things you know you would have seen that the shops very often uh, ran out of uh, products because people tended to pile up these things in their pantries or, or or in the kitchen so yeah as you as you've heard there are so many things that the research have showed us to be linked with increased symptoms of of ocd and I think anybody who is listening who has been diagnosed with OCD may feel that now they're not alone because I, the research has confirmed that, mm-hmm. this, that this is the case. Absolutely. The next point is the biological underpinnings and mechanisms of the connection between pandemics like COVID-19 and OCD. Yeah, this is this is this is a fascinating angle. Uh, we all now know what is OCD and and what happened with people with OCD during the pandemic and during the lockdown phases, and we know which variables uh, made people more vulnerable to developing the symptoms, to develop more severe OCD. But but what is the underpinnings? You know, we know that the causes of OCD consist of a very complex. Combination of of genetic, biological, and environmental factors. Now, if you think about evolutionary angles, you know OCD symptoms like contamination, fear, hand washing, and hoarding may have developed to protect our ancestors from infectious diseases and from starvation during times of of limited resources. You would know, you know, the people who were more cleanly survived. Mm. The people who hoarded food, um, they survived. So some of these symptoms of OCD would be evolutionarily speaking linked to survival. So, so obsessive compulsive symptoms would could be seen as adaptive, especially in the context of, of the COVID pandemic. But if you think about obsessive compulsive disorder, you know, as opposed to just the symptoms, that may be seen as adaptation in overdrive, causing significant distress or impairment. So, so if we go back to your question about the mechanisms and the underpinnings, we know that uh, uh, although there's been an increased focus on OCD during the pandemic, the mechanisms through which pandemics like this one affect the mental health of people with OCD is still to some extent unknown. But the impact is likely to result from environmental 
factors like stress or socioeconomic stuff of the pandemic, of course, or even the potentially direct biological effects of the virus itself or via para-infectious mechanisms, for example, inflammatory or other immune processes. So increased neuroinflammation associated with COVID-19 could be a precipitating factor for OCD in some cases. And I would like to mention a case uh, that was written up by Indian doctors. And this male uh, middle-aged guy never had OCD before and, and, and this case showed that his OCD was associated with low-grade inflammation and neuroinflammatory changes in the brain. So that's fascinating. Um, microglial activation following COVID-19 infection can be another potential etiological factor. What is that, Christine? So I've spoken about the inflammation and neuroinflammatory uh, changes in the brain. So this is uh, a, a well-known associated factor in, in the development of OCD. You know, previously doctors spoke about there are certain childhood inflammatory diseases that was associated with the development of, of OCD. You know, some people talk about streptococcal infections and those streptococcal infections very often lead to the development or the onset of obsessive compulsive symptoms and uh, indeed these processes have previously been implicated in in some cases of OCD if we consider for example historical cases of encephalitis or what we call the pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with streptococcal infections the easy term would be pandas now pandas would be uh, OCD that was linked to a streptococcus infection in childhood. So so this is this is interesting. I haven't seen many of these cases, even though I've seen so many uh, patients with OCD over the years. So it's, it's not that common at all. But this is something that one can mention uh, may underlie some people's OCD within the context of COVID. A quick note on what I do and why I do it. I'm a content entrepreneur creating podcasts and articles for my own platform and for various magazines and digital platforms. My weekly podcast episodes and the articles on my website focus on emotional health, parenting, love relationships and the life challenges we all face. Each episode and article features a therapist coach or other wellness professional so you can get to know them and find an expert who will resonate with you should you need one. After all, online therapy and coaching means we can connect across continents. I love the fact that my website has had visitors from 100 countries and that I featured 90 plus experts so far. Don't forget the up-close and personal articles on my website, which offer you a peek at the person behind the expert. If you're a wellness expert who'd like to be featured on my platform, just click on services on my website and then send me an email. Now, back to my guest. Do you have any recommendations on how to manage this challenging condition 
during the current or future pandemics? Marit, it is worth noting that in the smaller studies reporting on the impact of interventions, patients with close continuing contact with healthcare workers seem to be more resilient and more equipped to meet the challenges posed by the pandemic. So in contrast, those patients who experienced an acute exacerbation of their symptoms, they were typically those who had been diagnosed prior to the pandemic or those who did not receive regular follow-ups and support from healthcare professionals. So if you are in regular contact with your mental professional, you know, whether it being your your GP that looks after you uh, or your psychologist or your psychiatrist, if you keep in regular contact, you're probably in a much better boat than those people who are isolated and who do not uh, follow through with their appointments. And then according to current uh, guidelines, you know, psychiatric guidelines, treatment guidelines, we know that antidepressants, a type of antidepressant which we call the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or the SSRIs, in combination with a type of uh, therapy which we call exposure and response prevention. We know that these strategies are effective and recommended treatments for OCD. Um, the problem is during COVID, you know, to go ahead and be exposed to what you fear, mm. you know, that would typically be your strategy during during uh, um, treatment and to touch things that you think may have been infected by the virus, that would be very dangerous. So, so clearly some methods of therapy has to be adjusted. It has to be adapt- adapted to the pandemic. So, so that is very important. But there is more consensus about strategies other than exposure and response prevention uh, that may be more suitable in this context. For example, many clinicians encourage educating both people with OCD and the general public in stress management, for example. I think most of us realize that we have, you know, looking back, it was extremely stressful. Not only the impact of the infectious virus, uh, but also the fears of of becoming ill, the fear of causing someone else to become ill, uh, having to stay at home with a family all the time, you know, moms and dads having to do schoolwork with the kids. All of those things, I mean, we were exposed to unknown stress levels during that period. Um, and, and I think, you know, even people with OCD would benefit going forwards would benefit from learning how to deal with that kind of stress and not only just how to deal with obsessive compulsive symptoms. So I think, you know, there's been many recommendations how to how to intervene during a pandemics like COVID. For example, I would say, you know, we have to have information, correct information about the pandemic in order to reduce the abnormally increased risk perception. You know, I thought, you know, lying in bed at night and and I would have a, a, a you know, sort of a, a sore throat. And then I would think, oh, my word, it's 
definitely COVID. You know, mm. now the whole family, I'm going to infect the whole family. I'm not going to be able to work. And, you know, there you go. Lots of anxiety and all that nonsense. So people need accurate information about the virus and about a risk. And then also... Uh, another intervention a strategy would be to reduce the negative behavioral responses to stress. You know, a lot of people started to drink heavily. Uh, you know, those of us who could lie their hands on, on alcohol mm. during during lockdown. Um, some people started overeating, taking interesting concoctions of medications. Um, you know, all of these negative coping mechanisms. I think people can benefit from learning how to deal with stress healthily uh, and not making use of these negative coping mechanisms. And then uh, family relationships, I think people can benefit from advice on how to improve the relationships. I think it was stressful for many of us. You know, all of a sudden you had to deal with all your uh, husband or wife's peculiarities <laughs> on a regular basis, you know, and, and, and everyone is stressed. So, so small irritations become a crisis when you have to be in the same place 24 hours a day. And I think one very uh, important intervention strategy, it's not rocket, rocket science at all, you know, increase positive behaviors like being active, you know, even if you have to run around the house or work or study or learn a new hobby and also adjust your expectations to relieve stress. Do not think that if we have another lockdown that it's going to end in two days. You know, it might take a year. So, so just adapt your uh, expectations and, and deal with your day-to-day -day stresses. That's my short advice on, on how to deal with OCD, but also just life during stressful phases like these types of pandemics. Thank you. You're involved in the Global OCD International Multisite Study. What does this study entail? Thank you for asking, Marit. We're almost at the end of this study. It was a five-year project. And the goal of this study is to examine how the brains of people with OCD differ from the brains of their brothers and sisters and healthy volunteers. So knowing this or getting to a conclusion with this study, it may help us to get to specific personalized treatments to treat OCD. So locally, the work is done in our unit, which is the Medical Research Council's unit on risk and resilience in mental disorders, which is at Salambosch and at UCT, as you've said in the introduction, with me and Prof. Dan Stein taking the lead. And then there are four other sites, one in New York, one in Amsterdam, one in Bangalore, and uh, and one in, in Brazil, in Sao Paulo. So in all of these sites, they use exactly the same scales, the same neurocognitive assessment battery in exactly the same um, brain imaging sequences. And there are several steps. You know, we do a, a comprehensive interview to see whether people are suitable to be included. And once they're included, we do an, a, a comprehensive neurocognitive assessment to see how they make decisions, how impulsive they are. It's sort of a computer-based uh, games, and then the person is scanned. So at this point, we have managed to reach our target of 250 
adults with OCD and 250 age and sex matched healthy volunteers. So the, the priorities at this stage would be to include siblings. It's interesting here we've managed to reach our target of 20 siblings, but the other four sites, they struggle. Um, I don't know whether the countries are so large that people move away from one another, but uh, so we've been lucky. So at this point, our aim is to recruit uh, uh, siblings brothers or sisters of people with OCD that can take part, you know, just to fill the gap that other sites can't meet. And then secondly, we are looking for participants who can take part in an, uh, a treatment component. And the treatment consists of medication called sertraline, which is on the market for OCD, so we're not testing the safety and the efficacy of the of the drug. We are trying to see what happens in the brain when someone takes this medication. So there's a scan before beforehand. There's a extensive neurocognitive assessment beforehand, and then after 12 weeks of treatment, we do exactly the same procedure. And all of these procedures are obviously cost-free, and uh, you know the person comes in. All the processes are voluntary. The participants, they sign an informed consent form, and we make sure they understand exactly what the study entails and what we expect from them and what the costs, if any, are. And um, importantly, I know that people uh, from around South Africa and, and elsewhere would listen to this podcast. Uh, keep in mind that we only have a unit here uh, in South Africa in, in Cape Town. So only our Capetonians can, can take part. Otherwise, you have to travel from elsewhere. So that, in a very, very small nutshell, is, is the essence of this global OCD study. And if anyone is, is interested, which age group should they fall into? Very important question. This is for adults. So anyone older, well, 18 and older, but they must be younger or 50 years, 50 and younger. So it's 18 to 50. We've had lots of people be very interested, but they are 57 or 60 or 70 even. Mm. And, and, but we have other studies. So, so this is the main study that we're currently recruiting for, and we're looking for siblings of people with OCD, and then also people who are adults with OCD who are interested in joining this trial. So just those two groups. But as I said, there are other studies. So please do not hesitate. You know, if, if someone is listening and they would like to learn more about OCD or about the work that we're doing, by all means, they can email me or they can have a look at our website for, for uh, details. Would you just mention your email address and the website, please? Yes, my email is, is very easy. Uh, it's my initials, CL, and then a figure two. So it's CL2 at sun.ac.za. And uh, we have a WhatsApp number if you would like to send us a number. And the WhatsApp number is 076 and then there's also a lovely website, if I have to say so myself. It's called globalocd.org. So it's global-ocd.org. And you can also find us on Facebook at OCDRSA. Thank you. So I think the easiest is going to be to go to Facebook. 
to OCD RSA. And then I'll provide a link to the website of the study in this podcast. And I will add the other contact details to the podcast notes. So if you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Player FM podcast notes or Iona.fm, please just look at the links. Because if you follow the link to the podcast notes, then you will get all the other uh, details as well, including the WhatsApp number. And Christina, I think I should also provide a link to our previous podcast on recognizing and coping with OCD. Excellent idea. Could we now have your take on life, love and the pursuit of happiness? introduction. Um, I am not going to pretend that I have all the answers, but I can share what works for me. Now, definitely life doesn't work uh, in the way that one size fits all, but for me, this works. The one thing is create certainty as best you can and create structure for yourself and routine. And I love routine. You know, there's got to be a structure to your day and a structure to a project and to everything. But you have to leave room for uncertainty. So that, to me, is is my first tip. You know, have a routine, have structure, but leave room for some flexibility, some uncertainty. You can't predict everything 100%, but you can sort of prepare for 99% of stuff. So that's number one. And second one is, you know, over time I've come to realize how important decisions, life decisions are, especially in the in terms of your partners, your friends. Choose your friends and your boyfriends or your girlfriends wisely. You know, if I think back about how I chose people, I'm very lucky that I managed to choose very good friends and and in the end married the best person for me. But if I think about the potential disasters that could have happened if I made the wrong decisions, you know, don't make impulsive decisions. Just think about stuff before you dive in. Angels, what is that saying? You know, fools rush in yes. where angels fear to tread. Yes. I think don't be a fool. Uh, just just think before you decide, before you jump in. And then the final one is very easy. I think I probably used this as a, as a previous tip as well, but this works for me. Nike said, you know, or Nike, the, the sports brand, they say, just do it. And I say, just do it now. You know, just do it now. Before you procrastinate, before you become lazy or tired, just do it now. But not impulsively. And and something that goes with that is stay physically active. Whether you are 90 years old or nine years old, stay physically active. Very wise. Are you ready for your fun question? <laughs> oh, 
I'm trembling in my boots. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be not so difficult, I think. As you mentioned, you recently visited Bangalore in India for work. Yes. My question is, if you could bring one aspect of Bangalore to South Africa. Now, remember, this is in, in your imagination. And it can be anything tangible or intangible. So if you could bring one aspect to South Africa, what would it be? Wow. Huh. Marie, I would say, you know, it, it was, it was um, a very short weekend, but it made such a large impression on me. Well, it's far. You know, I took the long route. I went via Singapore to get to Bangalore. But what I found from the the Indian people, uh, there were so many people. And, you know, what I've realized there is that road rage there, I didn't see it, even though the roads are absolutely chaos. It was crazy. Uh, you know, cars on your left, on your right, in front of you, behind you, people butting in from the left, from the right, scooters, uh, pedestrians, cars, lorries. It was it was chaos, but no one got cross, and they they just hooted. It was it was a cacophony. I don't know if that is the Eng- English word, yes, but it, it was it, <laughs> it was crazy. People hoot all the time in India, but no one gets cross. Everyone allows everyone else to come in and everyone arrives safely. Well, at least that was my experience. That's the one one thing that I wanted to mention. But then what I would like to bring here from India, well, two things. The hospital system where I was, that I, the place that I visited, Nimans, they have a large OCD clinic and the clinic now celebrated their uh, silver uh, anniversary. And um, what I loved about the place is that there were so many uh, clinicians who work worked wholeheartedly um, and they did not only focus on the medication they they had detailed notes about exposure and response prevention and everyone was so polite in the hospital um, and and you know I think they this service that they provide to people coming from all over, you know, it's 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 a, it's a very large country, and people come there and they come for months. I wish that South Africans could see that clinic in action. You know, so many clinicians, and so many people come in and getting the benefit of expertise care for their OCD. That. I would bring home if I could. And then the second part is is the food. I went there, you know, thinking that, that in India you will get curries and, and hot food, which I don't like much. Uh, but it was it was so much more than that. Everything was nice. The sweet stuff, the curries, the food was really, it was something to behold. So those are the two things that stood out for me. You know, the, the, the hospital, the clinic itself, and the services they rendered. You know, and it's, and it's not flashy, not at all. It's not, you know, leather couches and state-of-the-art architecture, not at all. 
people, they deal with the basics, but they offer a service that can, uh, you know, that we can really use here and their politeness and the respect that you receive from the um, Bangaloreans. I don't know if that the, that is the name. That was something very special. And then the food, uh, that was that was just wonderful. Oh, that sounds so interesting. So thank you, Christine, for the work you do and for the research, which I'm sure already has positive results, but which in future will have even more advantages for South Africans and people worldwide. And then thank you for sharing your insights with us. Thank you, Mariette, for for allowing me to share so much and to be so patient with me stumbling over my English words. Um, so, so uh, yeah, thank you for being uh, enthusiastic also about this topic and, and allowing me to, to talk about this so much. I really learned a lot. And to our listeners, it was good of you to listen. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and if you'd rate the show. Visit my website www.mariehetsneiman.co.za for this episode's show notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love relationships, parenting, life's challenges and emotional health. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman, Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me and the music is by Mark Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.